invite you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, reading verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. There is an issue that every one of us must face. It is extremely relevant, and we cannot evade it. A question that demands an answer is this. What can a person who is a sinner by nature and by deliberate choice do to win the approval of a holy and righteous God? I tell you, that's the issue of this book, and it is the answer that every religion, both true and false, seeks to find. How can a sinner who is a sinner by nature and by deliberate choice win the approval of a holy and righteous God? The answer to that question is simply, we can't. And that seems to be the, the parting place of true and false religion. False religion is always saying you must do something to gain and to maintain the approval of God. True religion says that there is nothing we can do to win the approval of God, so we must just cast ourselves upon His mercy and trust in the Lord. There are two alternatives. There are those who teach that salvation is something that you achieve, and there are those who teach that salvation is something you receive. There are those who talk about those things that have yet to be done, and there are those who teach, uh, talk about those things that have already been done. And so false religion comes to say, here are my works, now give me my salvation, I have earned it. The Apostle Paul would say, not by the labors of my hands can I fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. It seems to me that man has a proclivity for perverting everything good. For example, God has given us the home. It should be the source of life's richest blessings. The greatest blessings of all should come from the experience of the home. A man has taken the home and perverted it, so that now a source of some of the deepest pain and hurt and disappointment is the perversion of the home situation. It's true of the Christian faith, the Christian religion. And God in Christ Jesus has accomplished for us our redemption and has offered that plan to us as a gift. And man has taken that which is good and perverted it and made it the object of a quest that is futile and endless. It is what happened in Galatia. For Paul came to Galatia preaching grace, salvation by grace through faith. And when he left, the Judaizers infiltrated the group and they taught that Jesus alone was not sufficient. 
it was Jesus plus something else. Oh, they said, sure, Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic hope for Israel, but He alone is not sufficient. The Mosaic law must still be kept. It's still necessary to keep the Mosaic law. They said it's not faith alone, it's faith plus works. It's not regeneration alone, it's regeneration plus, plus ritual. It's not by grace alone, it's by grace plus the law. And so they placed, as it were, an inscription above the cross on which he died. Necessary, but not enough. One of the most amazing things about Jesus is that you can't figure him out mathematically. And you can make the equation Jesus plus something, and it always comes out to because of the sufficiency of His cross. The cross is sufficient for three or four reasons. The cross is sufficient because of its death. And so He said He laid down His life. He gave up for us, He says. Now there is a card that runs like a note through music, through the music of the Bible. And this card is, He gave Himself up. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give Himself as a ransom. Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for it. 1 Timothy 2, 6, speaking of Jesus, who gave Himself for us as a ransom, the testimony born at the proper time. Titus 2.14, speaking of Jesus, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us. It was His giving of Himself, His death. Now there are three things that need to be said about that. It was a voluntary sacrifice. Jesus didn't die because His Father coerced Him against His will. Way back in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son agreed this is the only way so that the death of Jesus was voluntary both for God and for Jesus. I love to read John 10. For Jesus appeared to be meek and lowly, and He was. But His enemies interpreted that meekness as weakness. And in John 10, He speaks with authority and He says, No man takes my life from me, I give it up, I lay it down. And I have the authority to lay my life down and to take it up. And on the cross it says that Jesus gave up His Spirit. None of us will ever be able to do that. He has the authority to lay His life down and to take His life up again. And He hung on that cross until all the business of God was finished. And He would still be hanging there had He not chosen to lay His life down and to give it up. As a matter of fact, one of the most astounding things to Pilate was about the death of Jesus was the time of His death. Well, some of those victims would hang on that cross for days before they died. And so they'd go out there with mallets and they'd break the bones in their legs because they would use these nails that were in their feet to, as a kind of a lift to lift up and get the next breath and then they'd sink down. And so they'd go out and they'd break their legs so they couldn't lift themselves up and get a breath and they would literally suffocate. And so, the, so Pilate sent the soldiers out to break the bones of Jesus, break His legs and found he was already dead to fulfill the Scripture. Not one bone of his body will be broken. And Pilate was astounded that Jesus was already dead, for he had the authority to give his life up voluntarily, and he did. It was a vicarious sacrifice. 
For my little friends who sat with me this morning, that means substitution. It means that Jesus died in your place. Now that's important, because someday you're going to read that Jesus was a great Christian martyr. Someday you'll read that Jesus was the victim of some political or religious cause. Don't believe it. Jesus was not a martyr, nor was he advocating some cause that got him in trouble. He was born to bleed. He was born to die. It was the purpose of his life to die on the cross. He died in your place and mine. It was a victorious sacrifice. Did you notice how he introduced, introduced this epistle? He says, the Father who raised him from the dead. He says that right up front. Because he wants us to understand that we worship not a dead Savior, but a living one. A victorious sacrifice. One theologian has it this way. If the story of Jesus had ended at Calvary, it would have been an unmitigated tra tragedy. But the story of Jesus does not end in Calvary. For in Calvary, God's unprecedented majesty and sovereignty was uniquely displayed in the conflict that conquered death by life. Sometimes we sing it, this song, He. There's a beautiful melody, you know, He uh, created the, you know, how it goes. I'll try not to get into that. This singer, I told this singer I was preaching with a couple of weeks ago, he always he preached a little sermon between every song. I told him one day, I said, there's nothing worse than a preaching singer. He said, yeah, there is something worse. That's a singing preacher. So I'll not, I'll not try to get into that. We sing that song. You know how the end of it goes? It says, though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he will always say, I forgive. Hogwash. He won't say that. For sin cannot be winked at. And sin cannot be passed over. Every one of your sins must be dealt with and must be judged. And here is the choice. You can either pay for your sin, which is an eternity in hell, or He can pay for it for you. For way back in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son had this choice. God could either save His Son, or He could save you, and He chose the latter. It was a victorious sacrifice. The cross of Christ is sufficient because of its deliverance. He said He delivers us out of this present evil age. Now our tendency in interpretation of that is this. We tend to interpret that this way. Well, you know, one of these days, either by death or the second advent, God's going to get me out of this mess. Now this is an evil age, and I've just kind of got to do the best I can in it, and kind of mud along to survive, but one of these days God's going to deliver me from it. That's not what he's talking about at all. If you've done any serious Bible study, you know that there are two ages in Scripture. There is that future age. To the Jew, it was the time when the Davidic kingdom would be reestablished and the throne of Israel would be established in Jerusalem. To the believer, it was that time when it seems that God has placed this longing in every heart when God will take us out of this world into the future, into heaven. And then there is this present evil age. And if we're not careful, we'll interpret this, this, this way, that one of these days, if we just kind of hang in there and survive, God will take us out of here to heaven. Doesn't mean that at all. He's talking about a present tense deliverance. For when God showed up in Jesus Christ, He broke into history. And He invaded this present evil age. And Paul says that when God gave us the Holy Spirit, 
He gave us the ability to experience beforehand what is to come. And that's what he means when he says, Blessed be God the Father, who has blessed us in every, with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies by Christ Jesus. For what he means is this, that God has taken those blessings that have their origin and seat in heaven that we will enjoy someday, and he has brought those blessings down to us in the present so that beforehand we can experience the experiences of heaven. Why do you think Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? He means that by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can enjoy now deliverance from this present evil age. And the songwriter says it like this, The hills of Zion yield a thousand sacred sweets, before we reach those heavenly fields or walk those golden streets. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Go out of the back door of this church and walk about three blocks and you're going to find a railroad, railroad track. There are two tracks there. And they run parallel. They run side by side. They go together. If you could imagine, there are two tracks of life. This present evil age... And the, and, the, and the age to come, they run parallel, they run side by side in the present. Your life is one, on one of those tracks. Now here's the glory of the gospel, is that you don't have to succumb to every pressure and every temptation. We have deliverance from this present evil age, and so that man in Christ Jesus lives triumphantly now because of the sufficiency of the cross. It is sufficient because of its deliverance. It's sufficient because of its design. And the text says it is according to the will of God. It means that the cross is the design of God. It's the plan of God. It originated in His heart. He planned it and He designed it. Somebody said long before there was a cross on the hill of Calvary, there was a Calvary in the heart of God. And I try to think about the cross. I close my eyes to see Him there and try to see the cruel nails, the crown of thorns, and Jesus crucified for me. But even if I could see Him die, I could only see in part that great love which like a fire has always burned within God's heart. The Scripture says that Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined counsels of of eternity. It says that it pleased God to bruise him so that according to the will of God, he determined beforehand that Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary would be necessary. It was a part of his plan. The cross could not have been prevented if we had tried to prevent it. The cross is a divine dilemma. As father, he must have wanted to take him down. As creator, redeemer, He dared to leave him there. And someone said that when Jesus died on the cross, 10,000 angels of destruction drew swords against an unfeeling earth. But God spared his wrath upon his precious creation, and he poured that wrath out upon his Son. It was according to his will. There's a parable. Seems like it couldn't be true, but it has a... It's a parable of a man whose occupation was to operate a drawbridge. 
And when the bridge was open, these vessels, these barges would go beneath it in the, in the, in the river. When it was closed, that closed bridge became a, the bed for a highway and you know, cars to pass over the bridge and, and silver locomotives and, and passenger trains would pass. And it was, it was operated by, in this little uh, uh, house, it contained these uh, gauges and boards and buttons and switches and levers. He'd go in this house and he'd pull a lever, punch a button, and the drawbridge would come, over, come open and the vessels beneath would pass and down the bridge would go and cars and, and locomotives would pass. He took his son with him one day to work. It was a boring job. His son was there, and, uh, you know, for a little company. His son was playing outside. He really didn't miss him, and, and the bridge was open for the barges to pass, and all of a sudden he realized his son was not there. He looked for him. He found him outside playing on the big gears and cogs, these big pieces of machinery and huge cables, cogs and wheels, playing on them and inspecting them like an engineer. And he started to get his son and get him away, and all of a sudden a light came on on the panel indicating that a passenger train was coming. He didn't have time to go get his son. The noise was so loud he couldn't call his son, and he knew he had a choice. Reach for the lever, and it would grind his son in the, in the cogs and the wheels, but it would spare the passengers on the train. He had one choice, and resolutely he reached for the lever, and his son was destroyed. Just a parable. But one day God looked down upon a sinning world and saw you and me. He had one choice. He could spare his son or he could spare you. And resolutely he reached for the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he looked in that cup and he saw the blackness of your heart and mine. He saw there our deceit and our bitterness and our hypocrisy and our lust. He saw our temper there. He saw our sin there. And he trembled and he recoiled. For he knew just in a matter of days, moments, that cup would be poured out on him. Indeed, more than that, in a, in a little while, he would become that sin for us. And he recoiled, Father, if it's possible, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Gee, God, I'd rather die than disobey you, and I know that it is your will for me to die, for the cross is sufficient, because it's according to his will, his will. One last thought. The cross is sufficient because not only of its death and deliverance and design, because of its doxology. And when Paul thinks about this, he breaks out in doxology, to whom be glory, the glory forevermore. Now the only thing that will cause a man to stand and give God praise is grace. Now if I had any part in my salvation, if I had any part in it, in the work of it, in the accomplishment of it, I would smite my chest and I would stroke my ego and I would say, you did a good job, Gerald. You accomplished the most important task in life, your eternal salvation. You did a good job, but I had no part in it. And I cannot stroke my ego, and I cannot smite my chest, but I can praise Him because it was of Him, of Him. To Him be glory 
forevermore. I heard this story and I'm through. There was a little boy contracted polio. At first it was kind of, you know, it's kind of special having everybody, you know, uh, make him the center of attention. But it wasn't long until he came to grips with the seriousness of it and he probably would not walk again. Seriously ill. And they put his legs in braces and he lost his will to live. He became depressed. He would lie in his bed day after day with no desire to try. One day his father came in with a couple of tickets. He said, son, the Yankees are coming to town. They're going to play an inter-squad game. You can see Babe Ruth. For the first time in months, a little light came on the boy's eyes. And the little boy said for days prior to going to see the Yankees play, you think we will get to see Babe Ruth? You think we'll get to see him? Of course we'll get to see him. He'll be there. We'll see him. And they had a seat right behind the dugout where the Yankees were. And after the inter-squad game, Babe Ruth came walking by, and the little boy stood up. His father saw him stand for the first time in months, and he called out, Mr. Ruth. Babe Ruth came over there, saw his braces on his legs, gave him undivided attention. After a while, he gave him a souvenir baseball, patted him on the head, said, God bless you, and left. And the little boy turned to his daddy and said, Did you see him? Did you see him? That was Babe Ruth. The father said, I saw Babe Ruth that day, but I saw more than Babe Ruth. I saw my little son on diseased legs standing for the first time. When I was a senior in high school, I met this man of Galilee, but I saw more than Jesus that day. I saw myself no longer on sinking sand, but on the solid rock. I saw not only what I had done, but what he had done. I saw not only what how I had failed. I saw what I could be and what I could accomplish. I saw not only how I had, I had missed the mark, I saw how I could reach that mark. I not only saw Jesus, I saw what He saw I could be. Now this is serious business. We're talking about an issue that everyone must confront. You can't evade it. It demands an answer. How can you, a sinner, by nature and deliberate choice, win the approval of God? You can't. What you can do is to fling yourself at the feet of God and cast yourself upon His mercy. Nothing in your hands to bring simply to the cross you cling. Now the question I asked in that early service was such a glorious service, was this. Is there anybody here this morning who has a salvation based on any other thing than Jesus only? I'm going to ask you in a moment not to come and join the Baptist church or to be baptized or to start to do good things or readjust your life. I'm going to ask you this morning if you have never once and for all, point of time, put yourself upon the mercy of God and trusted Jesus only for your salvation, then you have a salvation that is not adequate and will not stand in eternity. Come this morning to the cross and the Christ of it.
Let's pray together. God, we trust you now to speak an invitation and call. We know the scripture says that you call us to salvation. And that is your purpose, that we're saved. And I pray that if there are lost people this morning, in this place, they'll claim Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus alone. Lord, I pray that publicly there'll be those who will come to say, I'm a, tr- I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I want to declare my faith in Him, and I want to be baptized in Christian baptism. I want to follow Him. I pray that there'll be Christians who by the mercy of God are compelled to a closer commitment of their life. Church people who need to place their life here, I pray that that will happen, that will occur by the mercy of God in this place today. For I pray in Jesus' name, there are three invitations. An invitation for you to be saved this morning. If you were to die today, separated from God forever, you don't have to go out of here lost. The issue is eternal life. Come this morning if you need to join the church. You're here in our community. The church visible is where God has chosen to reveal His plan to the ages. Come and join. Come and place your life. Come, Christian, to say, I want to walk closer to the Lord. It is grace that compels me to give my life. The drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.